So today I want to preach a message entitled, The Need for Godly Ambition. If you have your Bible, it's the book of Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. This year has been a really tough year for me as a pastor and as just a, a, a Christian, as a believer, looking at the news. And what happened was um, earlier this year I listened to a podcast uh, for, about Mars Hills and everything that took place over there in Seattle in the early 2000s. And it was really kind of, I don't want to say that it... Uh, it really just had me thinking, okay? It really had me thinking. And then just this Thursday night, me and my son, we tuned into the Hillsong documentary that came out this last week. And then all the news that's taking place in the Christian Post and in the news in general uh, really just made me think about ambition and about church uh, growth and about our life as believers and even just our vision as a church, and so today, I want to talk to you, and I just want to be transparent with you about a few things that I believe is healthy for us as believers and healthy for us just as a church body, okay? So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, this is about to get pretty serious. For you that are watching online, I want you to say, this is going to get serious. It's going to get serious, okay? And how many of us know that when we signed up, uh, when when we signed up, when we accepted Christ in our life, when we accepted Christ in our life, we, we made a commitment to God, and uh, we, we, we made a firm commitment to God, and the, the, the world of Christianity today, especially in America, uh, their perception of that is different than biblical perception of what a true Christian is. And I want you to go with me to Matthew 16. How many of you are there? And we're going to go to verse 24. I, I want to put in a plug in really quick. I was at the Spanish Bible study on Friday night. It was amazing. And for us that want to learn Spanish, I encourage you to come out on Friday nights. So awesome. Pastor Juan is going through the book of Acts and Sister Eunice. And it's just a great, great time. And for us next year when we go to Mexico again, the Lord willing, uh, we'll be fluent. Amen? Be fluent. All right, so the Bible says this in verse 24 of our text. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be a follower of me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Or what, will or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of God, God the Father. And then he will reward each one according to what he has done. Truly I tell you that there's some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in the kingdom of God. While we pray, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. I pray right now, Lord, that you would just bless us, help us to draw closer to you, Lord. And I pray that you'd give us a godly ambition, not a worldly ambition, but a godly ambition as, as believers, as a church. I pray that you would help us, Lord, each and every one of us to honor you and to not lose it, but let us have a heart to honor you, Lord. Let what you cherish be what we cherish 
In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. amen. I was recently reading about a runner by the name of Ivan Fernandez who was uh, running uh, in this race, and he was second place. And what happened was as he was running, uh, the runner who was ahead of him, who was clearly ahead of him, uh, had thought he'd crossed the finish line, but he didn't. And what Ivan did was instead of Ivan just passing him up the last uh, short amount of the race, is what Ivan did is Ivan went to him, and Ivan told him, you're going the wrong way, the finish line's over there. And he let uh, this Kenyan runner still win because he knew who was ahead of him. And so when he came into the race, uh, the reporters and many people were wondering, why didn't you just pass him up? And one reporter said, why didn't you just pass up uh, the, the other racer? And uh, Ivan said something very powerful. He said, you know what, if I would have done that, there would have been no merit in my medal. And then he said, what would my mom have thought about me? <laughs> and so right there we see something awesome about ambition is that this man clearly could have won. Uh, he clearly could have took advantage. But instead of having an earthly ambition, he had an ambition for integrity. Integrity is doing the right thing when no one is looking. And looking at the church world today, um, thank you, Eric. Uh, looking at the church world today, there is a great need for integrity. Not, I'm not talking about the world right now. I'm talking about the church world. I'm talking about the church, that in the church there is a need for integrity. That is being who you are when you're not at church, being the same person you are when you're talking to the people at church. You're that same person when you're at home, when you're online, when you're at your job, when, you, when, you, when, when people are, are, you know, maybe whatever the case may be, you're the same person. That's integrity. Now, integrity is something that you and I as believers, we need inside of our life. We need inside of our life, and especially as uh, people of God, we need integrity. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need integrity. So I was thinking about, uh, you know, integrity as a church, a couple of things that we need. And they just came to mind this morning. But first thing I want to say for us, I'm going to go through these really quick, is we need to be teachable. That means we're always learning. That means we're always growing. That means we're never going to come to a place where we're like, hey, you know what, I'm the teacher, and you know what, you're my student. No, we need to be teachable. The second thing is that we need to be vulnerable. That means that we're transparent with our struggles, and we can't uh, uh, have facades like, you know, we can all play that game. Like, we have everything together. We could put up walls like we have everything together. But you know what, let's be what you see is what you get. Let's be like, you know what, hey, I need Jesus. I messed up. You know, I need God's help inside of my life. You know, uh, this happened and that happened. Let's be vulnerable. Let's be transparent with each other. The, second, the third thing is let's be correctable. That means that we don't surround ourselves by yes men and yes women, but we have senior advisors in our life that will tell us no or tell us, hey, you're going the wrong direction or tell us, hey, that's not good for your life. I think you should make a change inside your life. So you and I, we have to have that heart to be correctable, to be correctable inside of our life. You know what? The cool thing I love about this church is that this church is not full of yes men. It's not full of yes women. I've had many of you tell me no. And guess what? I'm not offended by it. I'm actually blessed by it. I'm actually blessed by it. And not that you just always have to tell me no. No, Pastor. No, no. But when you do, tell me no. And you know what? I respect that. 
And I think you respect the same thing from me. I'm not just going to tell you no just to tell you no so I can say no. A lot of times it's yes. Hey, I think that's a great idea. But then there comes those moments where I say, you know what, let's pray about it. And you and I, we need to be correctable. Another thing is we need to be approachable. Approachable. That means that we're never getting to these classes of people. Like, okay, I'm on this class now. And then, oh, I'm getting to this level now. Oh, and I don't need to talk to those people no more. And we don't create buffers between us and other people. Hey, talk to my secretary first. Hey, you know, talk to this person first. No, we, we create that, a place where people could come straight into our lives. And that we could just talk with them. And, and you know, what, there's all that. There's just that um, uh, transparency there that's able to um, help us inside of our life, right? So you think about all these things. So uh, you're approachable. Uh, even as you go up, and let me say it like this. Let's not have ambition for a title to be someone, even in the body of Christ, because good ambition can easily turn into bad ambition. As a pastor, I am called to be a servant, a servant who protects God's people and encourages them. You know what? You don't even have to call me Pastor Danny. You can call me Servant Danny. Hey, Servant Danny, come over here. All right? And I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but this is the thing. It's dangerous when we begin to get titles because we can begin to walk in that and just start looking at people and just like, mm, mm. And I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 14 years. I've been, a pa- I've been around pastors all my life. So the thing is this, is let me say this. It's very, it, there's this balance. There's this balance. You have to honor pastors. Honor them, but not idol them. There's this fine line. There's this fine line. Like, when I was watching this documentary on Thursday night, I was really, really, like, just taken back on, like, them coming out of their escalades and just coming in, like, they're coming into a concert and having their entourage around them and hanging around with very popular worldly, uh, uh, worldly stars and going out to see with celebrities and and one man said, man, I never really got to talk to my pastor. I never got to talk to him. And you know what? As, as the body of Christ, the celebrity pastor is done. It's done. That's over with. That's over with. And so, yeah, let's give God praise for that. You know what? Uh, the $1,000 sneakers and all of that you know, shenanigans, those go out the door. Pastors need to be humble servants that don't run away from their sheep when their sheep are in need. Pastors need to be humble servants who uh, pray for their people, who are there for their people, who are uh, by their side in, in the hard times and the rough times. And they also need, they, we also, I'm talking to myself today, we also need to know we're just vessels privileged with the honor of preaching the word of God. Privileged with the honor of preaching the word of God, the great, great privilege of being a servant. And I'm so blessed by, um, I'm so blessed by all of, all of you, 
uh, here today that want to be pastors. I'm blessed by the pastors that are here in our church because I know they're all servants. They all have a heart for God. They're just like down to earth, down to earth. They love all of you guys. They're praying for all you guys. And I encourage you to tap into relationships with them, encouragement with them. I was so blessed this last week uh, as we went to uh, Mexico, got to hang out with Brother Eddie. Me and Eddie were roommates. We got to laugh together. We got to talk together. We got to eat ice cream together. <laughs> it was really, really fun. And um, I just thought, you know what? Uh, as pastors, we have to be vulnerable to be there, to be close to people, okay? Okay, so another thing about uh, them is uh, us as church, let's be godly gossipers. Write that down, okay? A godly gossiper. You might say, Pastor, gossip's bad. No, a godly gossiper. That means you talk good on people when they're not around. You're like, man, you know what? I'm a godly gossiper. Hey, did you just see how they just, how the God's just using them? And, you know, I was godly gossiping about Sister Gracie a couple of days ago. I was like, you know what, man, Sister Gracie, I was telling her, I think I was telling her, Sister, how about your sister is such a blessing? And I was just godly gossiping about them. You know what, let's godly gossip about people. You know, maybe they don't talk to you, but you say, oh, you know what, I'm godly gossiping about them. They just seem so confident the way they walk through the church. They don't talk to me, but you know what? <laughs> they look like they know where they're going. Hey, let's godly gossip about other churches. Because guess what, we're not the only church. Let's start godly gossiping even about churches that we, don't, we probably don't get, whatever the case, godly gossip about them. There's something good. There's something good. Instead of demonizing and ostracizing, let's start godly gossiping about them and say, hey, you know what? Hey, you know what? And guess what happens? You, we reap what we sow. People are going to start godly gossiping about our church. Start godly gossiping. The next thing is this, is we must be servants. We kind of touched on that, that we always are willing to do anything in the kingdom of God. Can never come to that point where, hey, we're, I, I'm not there. I don't need to do that no more. I remember years ago being in church, and there was a, a man who was given the, the uh, position of youth leader. And what happened was there was something on the stage, and someone came and said, hey, can you go move that over there from the stage? And the man said, he goes, hey, I'm the youth leader now. I don't need to do that no more. So uh, case in point, a couple years ago, I went to the ISOM graduation there in San Bernardino, and the, the, um, the head dean there, uh, he was moving chairs. And this guy's in charge of Christian colleges all over the world, and he's over there moving chairs. And I was blown away. I said, whoa, this guy's moving chairs? Indelible impression on my heart. I said, man, this is so awesome. God's using it in such a, a mighty way, but this guy's moving chairs. Amazing. So awesome. The next thing is this, is we must be kingdom-minded. See, the only king in this kingdom is Jesus. He's the only one. All of us here today were servants in his kingdom that have been entrusted with something, and you and I are going to honor him by the honor and glory of God. I want you to imagine today that I'm here, and I have $100, okay, and I give it to Pastor George, and then I go to Sister Nana, and I give her $200, and then I go to, I, I go to Sister Alma, and I give her $500, and then I go to Sister Grace, I give you $10,000, all right? I want you to imagine that, all right? 
But this is the thing. Okay, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of gifting, right? But who gave it to them? It was me, right? But it really wasn't me. But I want you to think about God. God has gifted you, all of us here today, with something. But it's not ours. It was given to us. Everything that we have was given to us. And we're going to have to give it back, right? We're going to have to give it back. So we've been entrusted with something. But guess what? Let's not, let's not think this was me because it never was me. It never was you. God has given you your spouse. God has given you your talent. God has given you your job. He's given it to you for, for a reason and a purpose, but it wasn't you that got it on your own. Nothing came from our own power. It came from the grace and the glory of God. Okay? So godly ambition, it's so important that we have godly ambition inside of our life. And the first godly ambition that I want to talk about today is the godly ambition to lead. To lead. Now you say, well, how do I lead with godly ambition? Well, godly ambition, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 11, it says this. It says, and, and have ambition to live a quiet life, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your own hands as we instructed. So he says, be ambitious to be a servant. Be ambitious to lead from a humble heart because there's only one king in this kingdom, and it's Jesus. So our ambition is to be, live a quiet life, to live a, a humble life, to live a life that's honoring to God. That's the first thing I want to talk about. See, when you and I get the ambition to lead, even a good thing, guess what, church? It's, uh, it's not us, it's him. When you get, when you get uh, elevated to, uh, let's say, entrusted with a gift of, let's say you have the desire to be a pastor, right? Let's say you have a desire, let's just say that, for example. You have a desire to be a pastor. You become a pastor. God starts using you. God starts, you know, elevating you in that, in that place, in that moment. Guess what? It wasn't you. It was him that entrusted you with the gift. So it's kind of like, imagine, you know, um, Jesus coming in uh, to Jerusalem and he's on the donkey, and people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And imagine Jesus coming in, and everyone's saying, Hosanna in the highest. And they said that that day the donkey was smiling with a big old grin that day. Because he thought they were saying it to him. And that's how you and I are when we start looking at all the glory around us. We're just like smiling like a donkey. I'm about to go King James right now, but I ain't. <laughs> okay, so aspire to lead. The second thing is aspire to please. Not men, but God. The Bible says in Galatians chapter uh, 1 verse 10, it says, For I am not seeking the approval of men or of God. No, he gives us that question. He goes, am I, speaking, am I seeking the approval of men or the approval of God? We got to ask ourselves that question. Am I seeking the approval of man or am I seeking the approval of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's what Paul said. He says, I'm not trying to please man. I'm not trying to please man. You know, man could only give us a pat on the back. That's all he can give us. 
But God, the praise that comes from God, when you and I sing unto him and him alone, when you and I work our ministry to him and to him alone, when you and I got evangelized to him and him alone, that's when we receive the praise from God. And how do you know you're in love with his praise? Is that you'll do it when no one's looking. You'll do it. You don't care who's looking. You don't care what people say because you're doing it for God. When you're, when, you're, when you're willing to please God, you will tell people the truth. And you don't care about the consequences because you want to please God. You want to be close to the Lord. And there's, there's such a beauty in that place. The next one, church, and I, I, I go to this next one, is this. The last one today that I want to talk about is the ambition to prosper. The ambition to prosper. Now, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30 and verse 8, and I love this balance. Turn to your neighbor and say it's about balance. Uh, the Greek word would be temperance. The Bible says this. In verse 8, he says, keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. He says, give me neither poverty or wealth. Feed me the food I need. So we see that the, 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 this proverb says, you know what? Give me what I need. He said, but don't give me more than what I need. And he says, but don't give me too don't give me not enough, but give me right what I need. And so you and I, instead of start praying for more, why don't we just pray for wisdom for what we have? And you and I, instead of praying for, Lord, give me more money, say, Lord, give me what I need. And uh, let me say this. There's some of you here today. That God has blessed you financially. I am not in any way condemning that at all. But you need to be rich in good works. Let's go to scripture for that. The Bible says in uh, Timothy, we're, we're going to go to um, 1 Timothy. And we're, let's go to chapter 6. Oh, I feel like I stepped on a toe right now talking about prosperity. I'm, you're blessed, okay? I'm not trying. I'm not saying, hey, you know, you need to go make the vow of poverty. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he needs to be number one. Okay, so the Bible says this in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. It says, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant. Are to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Okay, so we see right here in this text that God's saying, hey, he had rich people there. He had blessed people there. And you know what? I think uh, you and I, uh, I, I know God's going to bring in the finances that we need for that building. He's going to use people. He's going to use uh, people who are very wealthy. And then he's going to be used people who are just, uh, you know, maybe not have that much wealth. I believe he's going to use all of us. I, I really do. He's going to use all of us to come together and see this take place, right? But today, if you're here today and you have in influence and you have increase inside of your life and God's prospered you, look what it says in verse 18. The Bible says this. It says, instruct those to do what is good and to be rich in Good works. Everyone say good works. Good works. To be generous and willing 
to share, storing up a treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. So all of a sudden we begin to get investment-minded, but not on the, the investment of this world only. He's saying invest in the next. Invest in the next. And so you might say, well, pastor, I'm doing pretty good. I'm well financially. Well, what does he instruct us to do? He says to be generous. To be generous. And then what else does he say? To be generous in good works. So you and I as believers and Christians of God, you don't need to be condemned if you are what? If you're being generous, if you're being liberal, if you're helping the poor, if you're in good works, if you're doing all these things. And God, you know what he does? God entrusts wealth to people who are good stewards to those who are less fortunate. He does. He does. Many orphanages, many, uh, many uh, other things have been funded by wealthy people whom God had blessed. Whom God had blessed. But for, for us as believers, especially for preachers, we can never come to a place where we want more wealth. And we're like willing to serve wealth instead of serving God. How do you know wealth is the one who, number one inside your life? Well, wealth is number one when it consumes our ambition. When it consumes our ambition, we wake up thinking about money. We go to sleep thinking about money. We want more money. We want more things. When reality, God has already provided all that we need. All that we need. See, God is a God who's Jehovah Jireh, our provider, and he's going to provide what we need, our daily bread. He's going to provide for us. As the worship team makes their way up here today, you and I as, as Christians, as believers, I want to say that God has been so good to us. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's going to give you what you need. I remember when I got married, uh, me and my wife got married about six months before I got married. I, I uh, went to um, go get a ring, and what happened was I didn't have enough money. Then I went to men's discipleship. I was there at that men's discipleship, and uh, I remember um, I was there. I had that money from my check. I was working, as, I think, as 18 years old, and I remember that um, that men's discipleship, there was an offering picked up. And I remember, man, Pastor Sergio, man, he did a good offering that day. It was good. <laughs> he talked me out of all my money that day. <laughs> and I just remember <laughs> I put in the offering all my money. And I remember thinking, how am I going to get a ring now? Pastor Sergio, man. And I remember going home, and I remember a brother in the church who was doing financially better. He's older than me. And how many know that sometimes as you get older, God begins to bless you even more and more, provide the things that you need. And then you're able to help those who are younger, your children, people in the church, maybe bless somebody with a car who needs a car, bless somebody with a... You see that they need diapers. You go to the house. You take them a big old case of diapers. Why? Because you remember what it was to be in that place, right? And so I remember that brother. He had compassion on me. I guess he remembered what it was. And he said, hey, I want to use a line of credit, and I'm going to go get you a ring. Let's go get a ring for you, for you, for Sister Sabrina. So we went, and he got me a ring. And it was better than anything I could afford. He got that ring. And I was just so happy to go there and ask her if she would marry me. And I remember doing that. 
And then all of a sudden I gave her the ring, but then I didn't have no furniture. I didn't even have an apartment. And I remember God just started providing. Guess what God did next? About a week before we uh, got married, God provided an apartment for us. A week before, right a week before, I was like, dang, God. And then God provided a couch. Then God provided mattresses. And then God, someone came and gave us a table. Her father came and brought us a table. And then all of a sudden, God started providing all the things that we need. And then I didn't have no more money. Then at the wedding, people started giving us money that day. And then I had that cash right there. But it just seemed like right when I needed it, God provided it. It was not like God gave me a big old heads up. Hey, you got 10000 in your bank account. I had zero in my bank account. Zero. I didn't even have forks, <laughs> plates, nothing at all. But what did God do? Right when I needed it, God provided it. And I want to say to you, that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. Right when you need it, he's going to provide it. He's going to provide it. Why? Because he's a good father. And all good gifts come from our father. But he wants us to have faith in him. He wants us to believe. He wants us to trust him. And right in the nick of time, God's going to provide for us.